and welcome back to the In The Can Podcast. As always, I'm Devin, and I'm joined by... James. And Tom. And we're Jenny-less this week, and Chris-less this week. Uh, they might be back next week, I doubt it. We'll see. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway. Now you're stuck with us. Yeah. How are you two doing? <laughs> I'm doing better now than I was when I woke up. Very true. I'm doing awesome. I'm alright. I went to see the point yesterday, so that was fun. Nice. I haven't been in forever. I need to go back. You had a good time, though? Yeah. There's a bunch of new new coasters that I've like never been on, so including the three-hour wait for Steel Vengeance, which was really fun. Wow. Steel Vengeance? Which one's that? That is Mean Streak 2.0. Okay. <laughs> it does loops in the middle of a bunch of wood slats, which scared the crap out of me. That sounds kind of terrifying. I'm 6'4", yeah. and uh, oh, no, I'm that's... pretty sure that my arms are going to be lost, so... It was also just starting to rain. Oh, boy. Like, it was just starting to rain, and I had contacts in that were colored. So when I was getting hit in the face with all the raindrops, yeah, it was fun. <laughs> so it sounds like the perfect storm from, like, a roller coaster tycoon game. It's see, like, this is when suddenly the tracks disappear and you go flying off into the abyss. <laughs> I thought that, too. But then I'm also like, where's Mary Elizabeth Winstead? And is she freaking out to get off of this roller coaster? Wow, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Final Destination 3. Yeah. Do they, they still have the... They should still have the Top Throw Dragster, right? Because that was a big one. Yep. Top Throw Dragster's still there. Millennium Force, they're all, all still there. Because I know they replaced Mant- a couple of... The they, Mantis was replaced by the Ruguru. Which sucked, because I enjoyed the Mantis. Ruguru was pretty cool. The That's Gatekeeper cool. is awesome. It replaced Disaster Transport. They uh-huh. got rid of the Demon Drop, didn't they? Well, that's been gone for a while now, though. Yeah. There's been a lot that have been replaced, but, you know, it, it was a fun time. Uh, if you haven't been to Cedar Point, you know, go and go. Yeah. Sandusky, Ohio is definitely worth at least one visit. Yeah. To Ohio, and then you can leave. Yes. Ohio. 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 What? I'm sorry. Ohio. I'm a little drunk now. But the water I gave you, that was all vodka. Yep. I thought it tastes strange. The responsible ones aren't here this week, so it's just us. Woohoo! No, but yeah, it's like that's. I remember going a lot as a kid, summer vacation, or right before you go back to school. And. It's definitely what it felt like yesterday. It was like, hey, this is the last time before we all go back to school. Let's bring all the children. That's why you oh, go boy. when they first open up before school lets out. Or you go on a Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> I would love that. I would love that. I really would. But, it, yeah, so... Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That was good. Cool. All right. How about movies? I mean, we talked about Cedar Point for a while, but, you know, it's a movie podcast. But what have you seen this week? I I actually shotgunned a decent amount of, of a show I've seen before, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Easily one of my favorite anime. Just amazing. Still emotionally gets me like it did the first time through, which is very rare with me. Okay. It's been years since I've watched that. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth a watch every so often, every couple years. And that was about it. I've I haven't I haven't had a chance to go see anything in theaters or catch up on a movie that I've been wanting to see. Alright. Alright. Um, well, I actually got to see your next. Cool. Finally. Uh, that was a suggestion by you last week yep. uh, after the show. And What's that one again? 
It was actually one of my underrated films last week. Oh, was it? Yeah, that's right. Um, it, so, uh, Your Next is about a uh, young woman who is uh, engaged to get married to uh, a professor, her old professor at a school, and right. she's brought to meet the family in this like very secluded woods area, and people start getting killed left and right. Oh, no, no, yeah, the survivalist thing, right? And yeah, she's okay, a survivalist. No, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I don't and it was an awesome movie. You could have literally just said survivalist final girl, and it would have popped yeah, into my head. But yeah. the girl then, like, halfway through turns into the one hunting the, the invaders. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, that did sound interesting. Exactly. It was good? Oh, yeah, very good, very nice. Good. Yeah, it's one of my favorite um, horror thrillers I've seen this. I watched it this year and I wish I saw it earlier yeah the at first you think that there's one thing going on and then you find out there's something completely different going on and then you find out that there's a few more depths to that even and you're like whoa where'd that come from <laughs> layers layers yeah lots of layers anything else uh yeah I also saw Aquaman for the first time I still haven't seen that one I really enjoyed it it's definitely um, the top four DC movies out of the seven. I was about to say, how narrow are you going to get with this? Because <laughs> of the DC, it's the top four. It's the best underwater caricature movie ever. It's, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's no, what is it, Wave from uh, The Boys, but, you know. The Deep. The, oh, The Deep from The Boys. But hey, you know, whatever. It's Not okay. ever. He likes to go deep. <laughs> Where? His his words, not mine. Yeah, and you know, not everybody can launch a dolphin out the front window of a van. But hey, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> That's a sentence. That is definitely a sentence. It is. But no, I enjoyed it. I really like to see where they're gonna go with it next. Um, if I want to see him. I want to see him pull a Thor where he gets fat and you just see him eating tuna right out of the can. That'd be funny, wouldn't it? it used to be my friends. I mean, no, they're just delicious. Instead, I got instead of seeing him eat tuna right out of the can, I got to see Nicole Kidman eat a goldfish. But whatever. You say that, and all I can think of is a fish called Wanda with Kevin Kline eating the fish. That's literally the first thing that pops in my head. It's basically what happens with Nicole Kidman. That's all right then. Yeah. Um, yeah you en- you enjoyed it? I enjoyed it. Very good movie. Nice. And then I've been catching up on some TV shows, uh, most notably The Ranch. I'm almost finished with the show, up to where it's currently at. So I just started season six. Sorry, part six. The fact that that's at six seasons always amazes me. Yeah, I mean the episodes aren't long; they're only twenty five or twenty five minutes long, and I want to say that there's only like twenty or so episodes in there. So you have maybe ten hours worth of content a season. Right. That's so. Pretty good, actually. Yeah, I mean, it runs about the typical length of a normal season for Netflix stuff, so I enjoyed it a lot. So, And uh, there's a reason we left you for last, Devin. Because I have a list. Um, you usually do. I finally got back to the theaters. It's my first one I've seen since Film Fest. And I saw Ready or Not. Uh, and? I really liked it. It wasn't as good as I, as I was hoping it would be, but I still really liked it. Um, a little too hyped, or... I don't know. It was one of those that... It kind of was like 
it it didn't feel as good as it could have been. Like I wish that there was a little bit more to it. Um, but I really did enjoy it. I thought I wish I didn't know the ending because I I was like trying to figure out how they would get to the ending that I knew that they had. Um, well, it's a good thing I don't know anything about it. So, yeah. <laughs> right. but I I really did enjoy it. I. I enjoyed all of the characters. Like, every character was really well fleshed out. Yeah. Um, and just overall, I genuinely enjoyed it. I just wish it was a little bit more or, like, a little bit longer and we got a little bit more character development, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. It, it felt a little short, a little small. I can so, definitely agree with that. Like I wanted more with the uh, totally gay brother-in-law. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the only one with children, but, you know. Besides the point, I wanted more with his character. I wanted more about the the crazy gold digger and the drunken brother, and like I wanted more info about the family. Yeah, I would have liked to have known a little bit more backstory on each of the characters. Yeah, still can't be as bad as bad as Krampus. Yeah, like I enjoyed Krampus, but it was one of those that wasn't good. Eh, it was just basically okay. it was basically everything you wanted to happen to all the. Uh, the, the National Lampoon families. Yeah, pretty much. But, yeah, it was kind of on par with the Krampus. A little bit better than Krampus. Not... The humor was very similar to Cabin in the Woods. Yeah. Cool. And well, should I, at least, I should at least enjoy that, then. Yeah. Like, I, I enjoyed the humor, and <laughs> the, I, I love the scene with the young kid uh, <laughs> getting punched in the face. <laughs> like, that whole scene was just great. <laughs> yes. That sentence out of context sounds a little funny. There's a hole in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, but, there is. But then there was like a couple of missed opportunities with a couple of her injuries, and I'm like, yeah, well, you know, it, it could have that. could have had some fun, really dark humor that they kind of skipped over and didn't do instead. So, but I enjoyed it. It just it's one of those that I might need to see a couple more times to to fully love it. Okay. Uh, I also finally got around to watching The Faculty, which I forgot was a Robert Rodriguez film. Wow. Wow. This. Wow. You're. Yeah. Like I've seen parts of it. You're a couple decades behind. Yeah. I've like seen parts of it. And it was just one that I'm like, I've never actually watched this. So I sat down and watched it. And realizing it's a Robert Robert Rodriguez film. I'm like, huh. Wow. All right. It's Roberto Rodriguez. Rodriguez? Basically. I actually really enjoyed The Faculty. It it hasn't aged all that well, but I can't know. remember it actually. Yeah, it's if I ever watched it's it, it's like Invasion of the Body Snatchers in high school. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like it's kind of like I liked that one. I liked the Craft when it first came out. Yeah, but they don't age well. No, the Craft didn't age well. Uh, oh, the the one about all the 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 dudes, the wizards that were going around messing with people. Oh yeah, came out like Coven. Yeah, there was like a bunch of these, like Blood and Chocolate, that all yeah. came out right around the same time. <laughs> yeah, Blood and Chocolate that were like passable movies, but not great. Yeah, exactly. didn't shake anything. Yeah, like I enjoyed Blood and Chocolate, but it just wasn't a great movie. So. Yeah, same thing with like Ginger Snaps it wasn't yeah. great. It was that's awesome. <laughs> that's also got issues. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Anyways, so what uh, else? I also finally got around to watching the movie version of Dead Zone. It's been one that. With okay. for Walken as Johnny Smith. Okay. Like, I've seen the Michael Hall, or Anthony yeah, Michael Hall, or yeah, whoever yeah, yeah. the other one is. I've seen that. 
Okay. I enjoyed it, but I finally realized, wait, I've never watched just Dead Zone. So finally watched that. Really enjoyed it. Okay. He he was subdued. He's not like full on crazy walking, like more cowbell walking. Okay. But he was good. Yeah. Um, the movie itself was just really well made and again I, hasn't aged all that well. I've seen part of it. I haven't seen all of it and I've like regretted that because whenever I've had the opportunity to see it, I've come in part way. Yeah. And it was before like DVRs and stuff like that. It's the ability to like restart something or uh, catch it on on demand necessarily. So it was. But yeah, I I wanted to watch some Stephen King movies moving into this week. And so I watched Dead Zone, kind of looked through the rest. I've seen Pet Cemetery. And the other one that kind of stuck out to me that I wasn't sure if I had actually watched all the way through was Running Man. Okay. So I'm like, oh yeah, Running Man. So I'm like, I remember parts of this, but let, let's watch it. And man, is that a mess of a movie? <laughs> like that's the Schwarzenegger one, right? Schwarzenegger and uh, the there's just like a bunch yeah, of people. They didn't. They didn't that follow that. the script. By the uh, by, it's a it was a mess of a movie. I mean, it's fun, but it's just not. not it's it's yeah. not even it's not even one of Schwarzenegger's better schlock movies. And the fact that he's he says I'll be back. I'm like oh my god. And then I looked it up, and he said that in, like, 20 movies now. I'm like, oh, that explains that. Okay. But, I don't know. It's just one of those movies that, as an actor, it's, like, his legitimate catchphrase. Yeah. Almost makes you wonder if he has it, like, copyrighted. They made, they made fun of that in Last Action Hero. Trademarked yeah. or something. Which was That's a funny fun. joke. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I enjoyed Running Man. It's just one of those that, will I remember I watched it next time I look at it? Probably not. <laughs> Then we'll go through this again. It's like, yeah. I looked at Running Man, didn't know if I'd watch it, and then I put it in. It's like, oh yeah, I have. Yeah. Yeah. And the other one that I randomly was like trolling through Amazon Prime's list or whatever was Cube. This is one that I had I've known about for years since Cabin in the Wood, the whole ending with all the cubes. That is a reference to Cube. So I'm like, okay, I'll sit down and watch it. It's a bunch of people wake up in this weird contraption that is a like field of cubes that you open open one gate on the side and after about halfway through it I'm like okay there has to be more to this so I started looking up like how they made it and stuff while I was watching it and the fact is they only made one set and it was a 15 by 15 cube where they can climb in through one side of the cube and that's it that's wait and they shot this entire hour and a half long movie in that cube. They just changed the colors of the various things. And I'm like, that's kind of ingenious. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating little film, but it's like just not that not that great of a movie. It it kind of hits a point where it's just hmm. The worst part to me is the fact that it sounds you said because it's a bunch it's a bunch of trapped rooms that will yeah. kill them. That sounds very it sounds like it should have been saw cubed. It it predates saw by about ten years. Does it? Okay. Yeah, I like never mid nineties. Okay. Seen it. Yeah. But the problem with it is that it gets to a point where they start like trying to figure out. Well, this cube is trapped. This one's not. So that's safe to go in. But they start like using prime numbers, and then that's not true. So they start using factorials or prime numbers. And then they start using these numbers that they find to try to locate which of these boxes, which of the cubes is the one that 
is elsewhere in the lot. Like, and it's just this like mess of trying to figure out stuff. Like, For those of you who hate calculus, yeah. don't worry, this will pass fast. Yeah, they just kind of like start going through all of these in the movie, and it's like, okay, just it sounds sure, like a math teacher wanted to write a horror movie script. It sounds like a math teacher that doesn't teach math trying to figure out something that sounds cool. Like, just kind of lost the point. As I a, almost wonder if it would have been if it would have been better. Again, I've never seen this movie. If you were just constantly going into like just a completely like nobody else is in the a room with just a countdown timer, it reaches it reaches zero, they all get killed, and then you just cut to a bunch of scientists making notes and going, hmm, well that batch failed. And that's it. Cause that was that sounds like it would have been like, what the hell is this? That's kinda like what Cabin in the Woods ultimately is. Well yeah, but 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 yeah, less uh, less appeasing certain things and more about just doing for science. Yeah, I think exam, movie exam kind of does the same sort of thing. Where oh, they, that one school thing where a bunch of like... They wake up in like a classroom. Oh. No, they wake up in a classroom and they're like given a test that they have to do, but they start like just stabbing each other and... And it's like, what? oh, right. That's, That's weird. Weird. So, someone watched Battle Royale and yeah. wanted to cut out all that wishy washy humanity thing and just get to the yeah. killing. The, there's that, and there's Circle, where they all just wake up and they're standing on red circles. You walk off the circle, you die. And it's like convincing people to walk off their circle to save the others. And it's like, that one was better. Cube was just okay. But that sounds weird as well. The first half of the movie was pretty good, and then it just got. It, they had to come up with more of a story, and they just didn't have the story. Other than that, I finished Mindhunter Season 2. Really, really enjoyed it. I absolutely love Mindhunter. Uh, finished 13 Reasons Why Season 3. Not as good as Season 1, better than Season 2. The ultimate reveal about who killed Bryce Walker was just okay. And I'm currently starting Carnival Row. I should have it done by next week. Okay. Yay! Other than that, uh, I've watched various things I've already watched kind of in the background. So One that I could just have stuff on while I'm writing. Or... But yeah, that's what I watched this week. Uh, as far as movies that came out over the weekend that none of us saw, not a whole lot. No. Last week of August. Ooh. Yeah, it's it's the build. It's the it's the down period before we hit that, la- that next little bump of blockbusters. Yeah, you get kind of the down period between the summer action movie season to the late September, early October horror season. Then there's a little down, and then there's like that those quote-unquote Oscar bait type movies and other big blockbusters in the December area. So Yeah. Which usually get some of the best movies right around then, like Lord of the Rings was that and so on. But yeah. Star Wars is coming out this year. Yep. I always forget that's coming out. Weird. Wonder why. <laughs> it's just not been all that impressive of like trailers and stuff so far. Well, we've only to be fair, we've only gotten like one actual trailer and then a teaser. Yeah. And we've got a, we've got a leak that the trailer seems to confirm some sort of. I don't know. I don't know. I, I literally have not been caring. I haven't been following any of the the leaks or anything coming out of Rise of Skywalker. But yeah, that's it. No new big news this week. Uh, Andy Muschietti, who's the director of It Chapter 1 and 2, is the director of the next uh, Flash movie with Ezra Miller. Oh boy. Cool. That's we'll see more when it comes out. be interesting. But 
We I talking like Flash superhero? We talking Flash Gordon? Superhero. And Ezra Miller from We Need to Talk About Kevin and Bricks Being Wallflower. And so, uh, How to Train Your Dragon and Where to Find Or How to How to Train Your how to how to train your dragon and where to find them? No, <laughs> I mean fantastic also, beasts yeah. and where to find them yeah. and uh, fantastic Crim- dragons. Uh, and where to hunt them. yeah, <laughs> that'd be a fun series, right? Fantastic dragons and where to hunt them. Oh, <laughs> Raya, the last dragon. Anyway, yep. From there, we're gonna move on to our main topic of the evening: awkward jump cut. And we're back. This week we are doing the odd topic of our favorite directors and their best movies. To be fair, that's only odd for me and Tom, technically, because you have made a point from the get-go to basically mention directors. Yeah, all of my favorite directors and their best movies I've already kind of mentioned (laughs) throughout the various lists. And And he's been trying to make sure he doesn't repeat himself because it's admittedly boring. I'm trying to not ever repeat myself, but but we're gonna go to a point where we're gonna Becoming have to. Coming difficult. <laughs> yeah. To be to be fair, we haven't really repeated ourselves. Occasionally, one of us would have something that someone else had said already, which is also the case today. I know for a fact. Yeah. But yeah. we've been very we've been surprisingly good about that. Yeah. And I'm happy about that. Yeah. Uh, that being the case, James, how about you take? Take us away first. Oh, what's that I hear? Uh, 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 it's the Titanic um, because it's a, it's a sea boat. I thought a dolphin was getting run over by a you know, semi, but that's okay. Yeah, let's go in the deep end. <laughs> okay, then. The uh, first one I'm actually going to talk about is... You know what? Devin, I'm going to take a page from you and cheat just a little bit. It is Doug Lyman, and I still always want to say Lehman. It is Lyman. I know, but that's he's like one of the only ones I can think of that would pronounce it Lyman. But, again, I'm going to cheat a little bit and kind of have to because his he's done quite a, a bit of the kind of spy movies because... Well, I mean, Swingers and Go, I don't quite know off the top of my head too much. But he did The First Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Jumper, Edge of Tomorrow, and American Made, which are the big ones. I don't quite remember American Made off the top of my head, but the other ones, yes. And I'm going to talk... I'm going to mention Born Identity, because I have talked about that before. But the big one that I want to bring up is Edge of Tomorrow. Alright. Because that is... An amazing movie. Starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. Tom Cruise is a cowardly general general who winds up in a war against aliens. And then time travel happens. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's yep. that's pretty much it. What's amazing about this and what, what sells the movie completely is the fact that Tom Cruise is not the character he is for 99% of his other films. He's not the calm, cocky, suave dude that he starts off as. He is genuinely a cowardly snake who is forced into the position he finds himself in. And you spend the entire movie kind of watching as he gets more and more competent and confident going through this again and again and again. 
it's Groundhog Day meets Independence Day. Yeah. Yeah. For those of you who don't know this movie, it's also called Live, Die, Repeat. Yep. We'll get to that in a second. It's what it should have been called. <laughs> Either that or All You Need Is Kill. Yeah, I'll maybe not. No, no. You know what? I'll take Edge of Tomorrow over All You Need Is Kill. And, and yes. Then they came up with Live, Die, Repeat when they put it on DVD. And that's one of the reasons why the sales were so poor, is that nobody connected Edge of Tomorrow with Live, Die, Repeat. So that's actually kind of sad. And yeah, if you if you caught that All You Need Is Kill, that sounds like a really weird name for something. That's because this is based off of a Japanese night uh, light novel, night novel, <laughs> night novel. Yeah, a Japanese basically a short story, a, a novella. Yeah, essentially, hundred and fifty pages at most. Yeah, somewhere around there. I have it in the bookshelf by me. There's a there's a couple differences between the movie and the Killer novel. Killer Cage is not insane <laughs> in the movie, and but. there's also there's also the fact that the uh, the ages are a little more what would be considered Western appropriate. Yeah, yeah, that's the big one. They also don't decide only one of us can live and then have this giant climatic battle. It, it gets really weird. I've read both the the manga and the. Is it closer like Ender's Game? It just goes off the rails. I don't know. I, I just know that I really enjoyed this film. I thought that it was a fun watch from beginning to end. The funniest bit, which you don't expect from the kind of movie that this actually is, is just the smash cuts yes. of Tom Cruise's deaths. Yes. It. I was laughing the entire time, when in fact it's actually pretty horrific. But then again, I always love when they take when they actually use the concept that they're involved with because it's it's entirely a Groundhog's Day thing, and they use that the fact that he's just an inexperienced. I'd almost want to say bot general. He's like a a colonel. To me, he was a recruiter more than he was anything else. He was like he's, yeah, a, he says that himself. He's, he's a, a medium personality. He's like the he's one the other guy. people. Yeah, he's not the the frontline fighter. He's the guy in the back saying, hey, look at how much fun they're having, and then cutting to some stock footage of happy people. Yeah, happy soldiers marching in boot camp. Yeah. But and I like that he gets really jaded over the course of the, the movie. And yeah. Well, what happened yeah. if you took that guy and forced him to almost single-handedly fight a war? Yep. Bad things, as it turns out. <laughs> Very yeah. bad things. For sure. For Doug Lyman, I love Born Identity. Um, I loved uh, Edge of Tomorrow. Personally, I would I would pick Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Just one of those movies that, like, the more I watch it, just the more fun it is. There is so much yeah. fun in that movie. Like, the banter between between those two was phenomenal. They were perfectly cast. Absolutely. Yeah. Not, their friends were perfectly cast, too, because yeah, that one has been fun. fun. And, yeah. He was a treat. Yeah, everyone in that movie is just really fun. Yeah, it's like... He's got, uh, Lyman has some pretty solid movies under his belt. And I have seen Go. Uh, it, if I remember correctly, that one is t- the three different stories set in like the middle of the night and you just get different, different storylines each time they tell you the, the same story, basically. Yeah, crime comedy. Yeah. Uh, and, that sounds very much like either Usual Suspects or Rashomon. Probably closer similar. to Rashomon. Yeah, but I... Absolutely loved Go. Uh, it was one that just, from the moment it started, I'm like, this is really cool. And I genuinely enjoyed it. 
Honestly, I haven't seen Swingers yet. I should, but just haven't got around to it. Yeah, it's <laughs> always been on my list just because of the cast alone. Oh, this is funny, actually. Go ahead and Melissa McCarthy in her film debut. Mm. That's actually kind of interesting. I can see that. Yeah. But no, that was that was mine. Okay. And I think we'll shoot it over to you, Tomothy. Okay, cool. So my first one that I'd like to bring up is somebody that I often overlook. And it makes me sad that I overlook this particular director. J.J. Uh, Abrams. All right. Okay. And the movie that I chose for J.J. Abrams is uh, Star Trek Into Darkness. came out in 2013. I did see some of this, yeah. It starred Chris Pine, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Saldana, Car- uh, Carl Urban, Simon Pegg, Benedict Cumberbatch, and a ton of other people. A lot of big names. Yeah. And one of the things that really drives me to liking... J.J. Abrams is the fact that he's very well put together in what he's trying to achieve and what he sees. He always knows what that vision is that he's trying to get. The other thing that I like is the fact that um, when he's working on a project, he, such as Star Trek, he knows what the fans are familiar with and he latches onto that and goes, okay, Here's what you're familiar with. Here's what I'm going to give you that's new that can improve upon what has already been brought to you and still tell the story that I want to be, uh, that I want told. Okay. Okay. Uh, and he, the way he did this one, even though it's just basically the retelling of the Khan. Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan movie is the fact that this one has the slight changes to it of the continuity of what actually took place in the original, the fact that point points of view are changed up a little bit from this. Mm-hmm. And I like that. And I like the fact that he made Khan more devious in this. Less over the top? Less over the top of this, like, big arch-villain type thing, and more of that, like, subtle, super charismatic leader that he was always supposed to have been. And you get that because he dupes basically everybody. And then all of a sudden he just hits you out of nowhere with this, no, no, these are my true motivations and I'm going to ram them home no matter what way I can. Well, so to be fair, this. from what I remember, the original uh, Wrath of Khan was the fact that Khan was kind of like that. The problem is that he didn't like being upstaged by anyone, and Kirk basically was giving him a middle finger while blowing him a raspberry, which and that is... kind of slammed on his button, which brought the which brought the over the topness, which kind of threw away the devious, charismatic leader that he was. From right. what I remember, right, and you're 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 right on that. But in this one, even so, with this. Even when all of that is taking place, even when the buttons have been starting to be pushed, and I mean really pushed for him, he's still got this like charismatic, almost that you still kind of feel for the guy, even in the end, even though he's nearly just wiped out an entire planet of people almost, hmm. and all of Federation headquarters and everything like that, with what he's trying to do. But at the same time, you're sitting there going... Wow, 
I understand your motivations, but wow, that was hardcore, dude. And the fact that nobody saw that coming, the, I thought was genius. The biggest thing I can say about Abrams, and I do not mean this as an insult, I liken him very much to Michael Bay. In that he knows what he wants, and especially if he's remaking something, he will take what he believes is the best bits of it, weave stuff into it to kind of make a mostly coherent plot, and then up those big moments by 150-200% with explosions and lens flares up the wazoo, while just constantly upping itself. Okay. Again, this is not this is not a bad no. observ- observation, but that's that's how it feels to a lot of the stuff that he's done. Because look at Star Star Trek. Look at no, that wasn't him. Uh Star Wars: Force Awakens. Yeah, like look at the, that's actually another great one because what is to bring out a tired old thing? What is Force Awakens but a New Hope with a planet-sized Death Star? It's Instead, look, instead of a moon, we've got a planet-sized Death Star. But it's it's that same thing. He hits the beast that he believes that everyone remembers and loves, and then basically takes that size scaler and moves it up. He's a little bit too beholden to nostalgia. That's a great way of like, putting it. Like, something like Stranger Things is one thing, but they tell it its own unique story. So, Stranger Things... I You yeah. know what? I haven't seen any of Stranger Things, so what's... Well, the biggest problem I have with... J.J. Abrams, and I do genuinely like J.J. Abrams as a writer more so than a director. Um, he's a little bit too beholden to, like, seeing what someone did with, say, E.T., what Spielberg did with E.T., he basically did the exact same thing with Super 8 and then just changed some stuff up, but, like, he has very much the same story, and instead of writing a completely new work, movie in the world of Stark, uh, Star Trek or in the world of Star Wars he still feels the need to copy stuff that's already happened which worked I'm not saying any of his movies are really bad they're just they feel like they could have been better if they took a little bit more time to make something completely new whereas like Stranger Things sure is super like nostalgia trip but you haven't seen the story before I think that would actually probably be his big strength, is that if you give him a story and say, hey, do this with your vision, but don't, like, don't try to reference anything. You'll end up with the pilot, the two-part, like, two-and-a-half-hour episode of Lost. Which was fantastic. He directed the pilot episode of Lost, and it's one of the most powerful and strong pilot episodes of any TV show ever. There's a reason everybody was so invested in that that show from the get-go. J.J. Abrams. He also did Felicity and Alias, but to me, we don't hold that against him. (laughs) I thought that's fine. Sorry, that's bad bad joke. But he also did Mission Impossible uh, Three. Yeah, and it's one of the kind of understated movies of the of the series. Well, that's because everyone because that's what's that's because two was kind of not great. Two was John Woo playing playing with like a budget, (laughs) and then four Brad Bird just took off and the series just skyrocketed from there. Yeah. Whereas three's that weird like middle child. That was the one with uh Philip Seymour Hoffman. Right? Correct. Yeah. One of the best kind of understated villains in the series. Yeah. But but yeah, it was really good. And then Star Trek Into Darkness was good, but yeah. 
And Into Darkness was the second one, correct? Yeah. Yes. So then Beyond was three. Which Beyond actually, three, yeah. which actually makes it worse that it's also a remake of Khan. Yeah. Well, the first one reintroduces or introduces all the characters with slight twists to their uh, origins, and then you have Into Darkness, which is basically the retelling of Wrath of Khan. And then you've got Beyond, which is completely different, which he didn't direct, but he helps. Justin Lin, who did a couple of the um, Fast and the Furious movies. Yeah, and then he helped do a little bit of the writing as well as Simon Pegg. Yeah. So. No, but he, yeah, he's he's very solid with what he does. Oh, yeah. But I'm, I'm going to agree with Devin. I think he's a little too beholden to nostalgia when, he, when he's taking over something. I mean, that's fair, but at the same time, I, he's one of my favorite directors, even though I constantly forget. Like, I'll watch something and go, oh, crap, that is J.J. Abrams. Holy smokes, I forgot See, all I about that. I love him as a producer and a writer. Like, he wrote, or was at least, like, one of the credited writers on 123 episodes of Lost. Jeez, that's yeah. probably, that's probably like, the whole thing, isn't it? Yeah, he was yeah. one of the main creative forces with Damon Lindelof and Carlton Cuse. Which, he was also, great. with... Uh, um, Damon Delo- uh, Lindelof, he also helped write Into Darkness. Yeah. By the way. And so no, he's he's very good, and I do think he does Spectacles pretty well. He does. Yeah. But also, to me, one of the he was one of the main writers of Cloverfield with uh, Drew Goddard. Oh and, wow, that's actually and, uh, directed by Matt Reeves. So it's. I mean, overall, bad, so. overall, I just think that no, he's, he's pretty solid. A solid director, solid writer, and. You can tell that he pours himself into the projects that he, he works on oh, yeah. as much as he can, even though lately he's been pulled in a million directions. But yeah, I'm he's not going to be my first choice. But if uh, if, an, if an Abrams movie is on, I'm not going to be like, oh, let's turn this crap. It's like, oh, hey, cool. Want to get some popcorn? Talk about something. It's like it's not it's not a bad movie to have on. All right, yeah. for sure. So that's my first one. All right. Uh, my first one. Sure, why not go with the dude with the funny name? Uh, I'm going to go with a South Korean director named Bong Joon-ho. Let me pull up his list here. That's spelled H-O, correct? H-O. Uh, also known as Joon-ho Bong, depending on where, you're, where you are. Which side of the, uh, the hemispheres you lie in? Pretty much. Uh, he is the director, and most likely also the writer, of Parasite, which is out sometime within this month. Okja for Netflix, uh, Mother, t- One Part of Tokyo, Host, and the movie I reviewed a few weeks ago, Memories of Murder. The one I'm picking is Snowpiercer. Nice. That is, best movie. That is love Snowpiercer. That is a good one. Yeah. Uh, personally, I absolutely love The Host, but I've talked about it repeatedly. When we did Kaiju, talked about it. When we did horror movies, talked about it. Uh, and anything film festival talked about it. It's also called Guomal. So I, instead, I'm picturing I'm pic- I'm picking Snowpiercer. For those of you who don't know what Snowpiercer is, it is in a future where the fail or where the climate change experiments have fell failed, and has killed all life on Earth except for the lucky few that are boarded the Snowpiercer, a eternally moving train that circumnavigates the globe in order to keep its occupants alive. Yeah, this is the movie that is also the reason why. Chris Evans has his face covered in the shawarma scene at the end of Avengers. Yep. Also why he knows what babies taste like. Anyway. That's a... Hmm. Yes. But the movie is just this really dark and gritty 
pseudo post-apocalypse movie that is very claustrophobic and is just really well done. It the is. fact that an entire movie set on a train is this well done is I won't lie. It reminded me heavily of stories you hear from like post-war Germany and Russia. All right. Like wait, like when communism was at its worst or during the First World War when the revolution was happening, how they just had nothing for the people. Yeah. It's that entire thing of just what do you actually do to survive? Yeah. It, it's one of those movies that when I first saw it, I wasn't really sure what to expect considering I had only seen his Korean films, which blend that kind of humor and the violence really well. And coming to America, that that kind of film just doesn't play. You know, like you get either comedy or you get that violent horror. Um, but... I love the way he blends some pretty dark subject matter with some pretty weird humor and just Snowpiercer. It's based on a French graphic novel, which I have both of the graphic novels floating around. That somewhere. explains a lot. now. But it is just this extremely well-made, well-shot, amazing sound design, you know, and of course, Chris Evans is great. Uh, yeah. Alison Pill as the teacher is great yep. and Jar. I mean Tilda Swinton. Oh my god. Oh, yes. But yeah, all all the people bring their A game. Octavia Spencer. Oh yeah. The I remember hearing Ed a Harris. really sorry. I remember hearing a really interesting theory <laughs> that I just thought for fun about it is the fact that Snowpiercer is the the future in the timeline of uh Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that, and I'm like... It's a funny joke. That's all I think I'm like, probably not, but... Because I, I like the idea that he ran out of Oompa Loompas and now he needs children. Yeah, that, like, that, that's what. It's like, I find it as a funny joke, and that's all I find it as. I also am really like interested that an actor named Kang Ho Song and an actress named Koa Sung play... I believe their brother and sister... That are found about halfway down the train. The the two I thought it was uncle and niece. Uncle and niece, possibly, but I know them as it's father and daughter. I know them as Park Gangdu and uh Park Hyung Seo from Host. They played the uh the father and the daughter in Host. And oh, I just, so he brought his posse. Oh yeah, he I mean, the actor Kang Ho Song is just a phenomenal actor in China, or in uh, Korea. Um, he's been in Memories of Murder. He was in Host. He was in Snowpiercer. He was in Park Chang-wook's movie Thirst. And he's in Parasite. Like, he's just in a whole bunch of movies. What is Parasite? Because that's coming up. Parasite's a movie coming out uh, October this year. Um, all unemployed. T... Or Ki Taik's family takes peculiar interest in the wealthy and glamorous parks for their livelihood, or parks, I'm guessing that's another family, for their livelihood until they get in entangled in an unexpected incident. I believe they accidentally kill some of the family. <laughs> Something like that. That sounds very Korean. Yeah. Very Korean. Wow. <laughs> All right. But it sounds like this whole family is just trying to take over the, the other family's life or something like that. Keeping okay. up with the Joneses or whatever. 
pretty much, but it's a comedy drama thriller, and I'm like, I, I'm in. That's I absolutely love Bong, Bong Joon Ho's films, and knowing his style should be really cool. The other one I absolutely loved, Okja, that he made. Okja. He made 2017 about the giant genetically modified pig. That's not what? Uh, Okja is a young girl risks everything to prevent a powerful multinational company from kidnapping her best friend, a fascinating genetically modified beast named Okja. <laughs> Basically, they babe, sent out... Babe meets Kaiju. They sent out a bunch of pig or piglets to various parts of the con- or various parts of the world, and they were genetically modified to get big and like fat and big genetic pigs and all that to prove that GMOs aren't bad. They're still they're still happy pigs and all that crap. You know, it's Tilda Swinton as the as the head of this company, so of course. weird. But they end up finding and killing all the other pigs, except Okja. So they find bring dragged Okja back to Seoul and. It's all about the girl trying to go to Seoul to, to get the pig back. But Okay. Yeah, it was it was really good. And there's like the anti anti like pig farm people that are like bombing parts of the city. And I don't know, it was just a really well done. Really, really well done movie. So then I really enjoyed uh uh Memories Murder that I mentioned a few weeks ago. Nice. So, but yeah, that's mine. My first one, Bong Joon-ho. Nice. Jumps. All right, then. Back to me. And I'm going to ground us in reality. God damn it. <laughs> now, the next one I'm going to be talking about is a name, if you've been listening to us for any length of time, you'll have heard out of Devin's mouth at some point. Yep. Edgar Wright. Specifically Hot Fuzz. Edgar Wright. 2007. Yep. Edgar Wright is... Easily one of, if not the best, physical comedy directors, like, ever. He has such a good grasp of how to portray physicality and not needing a lot of dialogue for it. Like, letting someone's actions drive the dialogue and the narrative. Okay. And it is fantastic to watch every time. Hot Fuzz is the second of the Cornetto trilogy. With Shaun of the Dead and... World's End. Not to be confused with that other movie. This is the end. (laughs) The end of the story. But yeah, Hot Fuzz, written by Wright and Simon Pegg. Another one with Simon Pegg in it. Oh yeah, he... Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright wrote the entire Cornetto trilogy. Yep, and Nick Frost was there to star in it with Pegg. Because they're they're a good staple of of Wright's movies. Yep. And this one has Peg and Frost playing police officers attempting to solve a series of mysterious deaths in Sanford, a village in the west uh, west country of England. All right. Peg plays the officer who is transferred, I believe. Yeah, he's transferred for being too good and making the rest of the rest of the police look bad. <laughs> By comparison, and he is—I will give it to Peg. He plays a proper badass, yeah. and a lot of the comedy is that just he's that he's so badass. It's it's like an over the top Schwarzenegger film. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that easily. Yeah, I mean, th- this is really cool because of the simple fact that it provides you with this 
they basically go to almost a perfect village. It feels like that old timey, uh, you know, everyone knows their neighbor, let's hell have a good time, but there's just something off about it. They do, it. but this, like with the other parts of the Cornetto trilogy, has a really good use of callbacks. Oh yeah, everything's foreshadowed. There's there's a lot of foreshadowing in the best way. And even in the comedy, like they'll call back something that happened earlier, uh, like a, a a like little spoof thing that they had earlier on as like a comedic callback, and they'll do it again later on. And it's just like for a second, and if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it, and you'll go, "Oh, ah, oh, you you did the thing again. That was great." And I, this is one of my favorite ones, easily, of the trilogy. Um, Shaun of the Dead being the first. And then World's End, I've only seen once. So World's End is very different feel from the other two. That's that's the big thing. It is, but it's not necessarily a bad thing, though. Like It is not. It is a very good film in its, in its own right. <laughs> but I went into it with a very different... With, with a thinking that it would be similar to... Hot Fuzz or Shaun of the Dead. Okay. And I wasn't disappointed, but I definitely left it as like, huh, okay. I did shouldn't have gone in with that thought process. Because I didn't really see anything for it. All I knew is that Edgar Wright, Shaun of the Dead, blah blah blah, you know, I, I probably enjoy it. Especially since I was I heard a lot from you before I actually watched the movie. Probably. I saw it opening night. Yeah, but midnight and then opening night, and I think I saw it the next day as well. Yeah, for the Cornetto trilogy, I would definitely Hot Fuzz is first for me, then comes Shaun of the Dead, and then World's End. But again, I I I had a bad thought process and I haven't seen it since. The problem I have with Shaun of the Dead is the fact that it was another dark comedy revolved around the zombie stuff, and for just a minute or two, Edgar Wright played it completely straight. And it came out of nowhere. That never bothered me, though. Uh, that when did that one come out? It came out uh, two thousand seven, so two thousand four. That one came out two thousand four. I was fifteen when I first saw that, Devin. I by the My time s- I saw it, I was. 17, 18. I also watched that with my little sister, who was twelve at the time. Hmm. Somewhere around, she was either eleven or twelve at the time. And it was about midnight when we saw it. So that has a bit of a, I, I know that's a bias, but that kind of had, that's an uncomfortable memory watching that. When I first saw it, I didn't see it in theaters because I was, you know, I wasn't quite old enough to watch it. No. And then when I eventually did see it, I was like, whoa, hey, this one, this movie freaks the crap out of me. And then I watched it a second time. I'm like, never mind. I love this movie. And it's one that the more I've watched it, the more I love it. Like, I love the fact that you hear Ed crash Sean's crappy car or uh, Pete's car outside of the mom's house, (laughs) even though he's in park. You can subtly hear him crash the car uh, just in the background of one of it and the alarms start and then the alarms stop like they got, oh, crap, and then ding ding the button. Um, and then I love the little sound cues, like when he's holding up the knife and there's that little glint of light on the knife. And, um, I love the, the rapid editing. I love all of the, well, I love this fact that you had, you had him meet a coworker who was having her own little adventure. Yeah. The, I love the, I've seen the show spaced, which was Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg's 
TV show that they made. Yes, I've heard good things about that one. Predating um, Shaun of the Dead, and it is rough. I'm not going to lie, that show is rough, but the writing is spot on. And you definitely, if you can hear that, someone's opening something in the other room. Um, but the writing on Spaced was Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, and it's very similar to what Shaun of the Dead is, which is based on Spaced. a joke in one episode of Spaced. Yeah, so it, it's very it's a very interesting how that came about. But again, it's like it wasn't that it was bad. Or if I pro- if I go back, I'll probably have a very different thought process on it. But again, that's kind of a hard memory to to bump over because I I remember my little sister not having a great time with that, yeah. and I wasn't exactly in the same boat. I was I was kind of in the same boat. But Hot Fuzz. The other thing is the fact that Hot it came so suddenly in Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. And I've said this before. I think Hot Fuzz foreshadowed. The, the the dark, violent parts better. Yeah, like the the church roof coming yes. down and killing Tim Messenger. I think that was shadowed a lot better, so you knew, oh, this is going to be funny. Well, you saw it coming a little bit more. You saw, like, the guy breaking off it. It's where in Shaun of the Dead, it's more of a reference to how all of a sudden violent, like, the original Dawn of the Dead or Night of the Living Dead was. No, and again, nowadays, I understand that. Either way, yeah. pretty much, I don't think you can pick a wrong movie with Edgar Wright. He has five. He has a few others. Like, he did a trailer for Don't and Grindhouse. He helps write Adventures of Tintin. Yeah, I mean, he's he's like uh, written some other stuff. But as far as directing, he's done Spaced, five movies, and then he just finished rapping on Last Night in Soho. Which I'm looking forward which, to. Should be coming out almost a year from now. Okay, yeah, I know. I'm looking forward to it after yeah. you've told me about it. It's so. a psychological horror set in London. Yeah, and it's and it's Edgar Wright doing it and again. Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward to see how he uses his physic the physicality that he's known for directing in that because yeah. that's going to be interesting. As I'm hell. curious to see him take on something that doesn't have any comedic elements. Like Baby Driver was was pretty streamlined. There were light-hearted moments like baby dancing and. There were funny like, moments. Like, messing with uh, his father figure, and there were lighthearted moments, but a whole lot of it, like all the stuff with the um, heists and all that, were really dark at times. Like, Buddy just goes dark. <sighs> yeah. And, and then Bats the, being the way Bats being insane, and uh, Doc and all of his stuff. And, like, yeah, it gets pretty dark, but I'm curious to see him actually delve more into, like, the psychological horror. So yeah, personally, and I've mentioned this on like six lists now, but I love Edgar, the Cornetto trilogy and I love Baby Driver, but I still think his best movie and the most iconic showing of his brand directorial style is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Yeah, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. I have the board game up behind me here. Oh, Tom was pointing at. Didn't even realize that. <laughs> oh, Jesus. His <laughs> style that he played with in Shaun of the Dead, Hot, or Hot Fuzz, World's End, and even Baby Driver is fully on display in Scott Pilgrim. Like, he was just let loose. And the hyperkinetic energy of, like, the action scenes of Baby Driver, the, the whip-smart dialogue of, you know, Hot Fuzz and... The, the dry humor. The dry humor of, especially something like World's End, where all the stuff about what is the difference between a pronoun and it. Well, you just used one. I did? Yeah, it is a pronoun. It is? What? No, Christ. And all that kind of stuff. And like the, the just rapid fire dialogue 
that's all on Scott Pilgrim. And there's just, I have not, I can't say enough good things about Scott Pilgrim. It is still my favorite movie. Yeah. Edgar Wright is just a brilliant director. His he directorial is. style shines completely out of that movie. Again, James, watch the damn movie. I don't care that you don't like Michael Sarah. Watch the movie for Edgar Wright's direction. Holy crap. You know what? Maybe it's just, maybe I will, Devin. Maybe I will. You really should. Like, it's legit. Just, it's just one of those movies that... Also, the amount of other actors in that movie... Holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> if, it, if it makes you feel any better, there's a, there's a part of me that actually does want to watch the Jack Reacher films. Yeah. I enjoy Jack Reacher. They're... Yeah. They're not phenomenal movies by any chance. No, no but they're, they're solid. Time sure. yeah, they're, they're solid. The first one, the second one's pretty bad. Yeah, but the second I mean, one like, just falls apart. Put it this way: with Scott Pilgrim, the first time I saw it, not a fan. Every time I've watched it since then, I've gained even more and more appreciation for it, and I've loved it. Even. Maybe yeah. I will this week. Then, yeah, I'll give it a shot. Uh, you know what? It can't be as bad as the first ten minutes of Coherence. I the first ten minutes is rough and coherent. But it once is. you get past that and it gets into the weird stuff going on, it's pretty damn good. But Scott Pilgrim, it grabbed me from the first the the opening sound and never let go. So it's just one of those that I think Scott Pilgrim vastly underrated, and yet and, it's vastly yeah. underrated. But because I constantly hear you talk about it, it seems like yeah, it's, it's perfectly rated. And, it should be. and to be honest with you, there's the way that they. Because if I'm not mistaken, the the comic book or manga or whatever it was came it's out. A comic. It's a comic from Canada. Right, Canada. Canada. Okay, Canada. so that came out prior to this movie, obviously. He wrote, or he read the first, like, one or two and was like, I want to make this, and shot Ryan Lee O'Malley a message saying, can I make this? And bought the rights, and then, like, went into pre-production on it, and then Brian Lee O'Malley put, like, the next three out while they were in pre-production. And he's like, Cool. I love your stories, but I've already been in pre-production for a year now, so I'm going to do it my way. And Brian Liam Ellie's like, cool, can I help? And the two of them actually work together to, to make Scott Pilgrim. That's 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 yeah. the that's things I love, though. Yeah. That's something that, that's awesome. And, and Brian Liam Ellie actually makes a cameo in the movie. What I was going with is, is the way this integrates the comic, some of the comic elements into the Oh, film. yeah, it looks like a giant comic slash video game movie. Yes. It is a love letter to comics, to... Video, video game culture, yeah, yeah, and it's it's beautiful. It's like very, they very literally cool. have when an evil X shows up, the the literal versus screen, yeah, the, boss of the two screen. of them landing and then fight, you know, and then them going at it. Or at one point, someone breaks a disco ball, the two like two shards of the disco ball go down between the two fighters, and then a third one is like the third fighter in the room, kind of thing, and it's like perfectly out of like something like Soul Caliber, and then they fight. And because of that soul caliber thing, you're right. You're now oh, there's going to be weapons, and yeah, they pull out a hammer, they pull out a chain sword. It's just like all of a sudden, like oh, this is awesome. And, and the fact that they reference that's weird. And when one of the evil exes uh, gets beaten, the uh, all right before, pop out. Yeah, before we go too so far, much of them. Yeah. you know what? If I do watch it, how about we do a breakdown of it? Sure, sure, that works. Okay. All right, then moving on because. That was that that went down a rabbit hole, but I knew yeah. I was going to do oh, it when yeah. I opened up Edgar Wright. Edgar so, Wright was going to be on my list when I heard it was on yours. I'm like, I'm good. I've already talked about him enough. All, All right, right yeah. then. Tom. So my next one is going to be Peter Jackson. Ah. And rather than just choose one, I'm choosing 
a series of films from him, the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, they came out in 2001, 2002, and 2003, respectively. Uh, all of them PG-13 and ran from 2 hours, 58 minutes, 2 hours, 59 minutes, to 3 hours and 21 minutes for the theatrical cuts. Yeah. I forgot that they're actually all PG-13. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is very easy to forget because they eat. They could have easily had R with no problem. Yeah. Yeah, they could have pushed it. But they, they didn't. It. But they oh. didn't, and that actually makes it better. Yeah. I, I I can enjoy gore as much as the next person, but, you know, sometimes you don't need it. No, absolutely yeah. not. Would, and be, would you say in bad taste? <laughs> <sighs> so, the reason why I chose Peter Jackson is because Peter Jackson really was able to provide, with all the movies that he's done, um, all... Um, <laughs> Dead Alive? Pardon? Dead Alive? Ooh, Okay. Heavenly so, Creatures. Fair enough. <laughs> the <laughs> Hobbit trilogy. Which wasn't as bad Which as people wasn't that bad it, as people give it uh, credit for. It, it shouldn't have gone down the way it did, but yeah. It's fair. It. But as close as it was to the source material for a lot of the stuff that he's coming from, I mean, to be fair... It's not, ne- it's not nearly as bad as the animated one, so... Uh, no. And also, too, like, he is able to provide this larger-than-life look at the worlds that he's filming in. They I mean, feel lived in. Yeah, they they feel like they're a legit place that I could go visit tomorrow. And I'm not breaking from my... from where I'm at in the film. Like, if I, I believe I could easily see the Shire as being a legit place that I could go oh, to. I know it is... is. They but, actually made it. Yeah, but, but what I'm saying is... mother and sister have gone there. But what I'm saying is, it's a living, breathing place with people who live there and are going about their lives. And I could go visit Frodo and Samwise and all of those characters and be like, oh, hey, this is the Shire. This is sweet. Well, the other thing that was so interesting is that, specifically on War of the Rings ones, but also the ones where he actually has time to do proper like pre-production and the like, there's a lot of little physical tricks that he does to make everything work. Again, I, I point to Lord of the Rings because there's a lot of perspective stuff mm-hmm. that makes it Forced look... perspective of Gandalf with the Hobbits. And you can't tell... It looks like they're, they're playing off each other when in actuality Elijah Wood was like 20 feet back. Yeah, even mm-hmm. Gimli because yeah. he's so much... As a dwarf, he's so much shorter than everyone. Yeah, else. and the actor is the tallest of them all. Yeah, John Rhys Davies. Oh my Davis, god, yeah. I forgot about that actually. Yeah. The, the one that impresses me is not Lord of the Rings. It's actually Hobbit. The early moments of Hobbit when all the dwarves invade uh, Bilbo's house and Gandalf's walking through them. The way they shot that is that Gandalf is literally on a green screen set on the opposite side of the area with like an earpiece in and is walking around interacting with nothing while they are shooting all of the dwarves on the other side. That that's interesting. I never thought that. Yeah. I didn't once think that watching that scene. Yeah. And there are two filmmakers that I, every time they have a new movie out, I try to buy the DVDs. One is Edgar Wright for just all of his behind the scenes stuff. Two is Peter Jackson. 
I've bought Lord of the Rings, the extended cuts with all of the appendices. I bought King Kong with all of the making ofs, and I bought Hobbit with all the making ofs. Because he has like 10 hour documentaries yeah, about does. how he makes the movies. You going, get your value for those DVDs. Yeah, going oh, yeah. from the writing process all the way to walking the red carpet. And all of like how they shot the scene with all the dwarves through juggling all the plates, the plates and, and all that. And you see Gandalf in like a green screen room being handed stuff by PAs and they're shooting it simultaneously and stuff. And it's just, this is just brilliant. And because he couldn't do the same force perspective because anyone near Gandalf would be miles behind. So now you can have a, have a dwarf walk behind Gandalf and a dwarf standing in front talking to him that then walks behind Gandalf. And it's like all of that kind of stuff is just absolutely brilliant. And that's where CG works so very... The, yeah. the CG and green screen works so very well. And Jackson's one of the ones who actually knows that and uses mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And in Lord of the Rings, the decision to make Gandalf a 100%... Or a Gollum to make be a 100% CGI character was revolutionary. Yeah, and Andy Serkis just does an amazing job. Serkis knocked it out of the park. Yeah, and he played uh, King Kong in King Kong. Yep. And he was also the chef, but even, like, a lot of people kind of harp on King Kong as being this overstuffed, you know, extravagant. I just don't remember. I don't think I saw it. It was just a really well-made film. Yeah. And sure, some of the CG nowadays isn't as good, but, and there's some weird, like, logic issues here and there but the movie is super well done yeah it's also very grim oh yeah oh yeah i mean the original kind of was too but well yeah. but that's the thing is i've also noticed with jackson stuff it's very it's very themed on like that grim reality mm -hmm. slash the the concept and aftermath of war yeah he seems very interested in that sort of theme he, well a lot of his is like the loss of hope yeah, that that's actually a better way of phrasing it. Yeah, I mean, he just did the one documentary, um, they, they shall not grow old. Yeah, they shall not. Grow and it, I've seen it twice, and it's just phenomenal to watch. Yeah, about the World War One, World War One. What happened during that? Yeah, and taking pieces of old interviews and footage and things like that. In some cases, colorizing it and giving you this understanding of what the mentality was at the time. It's very, it's very interesting. And it's always, I'm, I'm never quite sure depending on my mood, if he's, if he's showcasing it to show that there is hope in the world or that sometimes it doesn't always come through. Then again, that's my mentality. Right. Some of this stuff is like, is it worth having that happy disposition because it's going to just be beaten down? by the state of the world or is holding on to that and trying to find it the only thing that's actually worth finding in it. He's like least he also did Frighteners, which was fine. That's and a funny one. It was fun. I enjoy it. It, it, was, it wasn't it was anything okay. like groundbreaking, but it was fun. Yeah. But the one that everyone just kind of skips over is the Lovely Bones that he did which with Saoirse Ronan. So I haven't seen that one. I I actually genuinely love the movie. It stars Saoirse Ronan as Susie Salmon who dies and it's her story going into the afterlife and into the afterlife or she goes to purgatory and it centers on her watching over her family and those trying to find the killer 
Oh, okay, interesting. And it's Sounds just like this, murder, soul suspect. Yeah, pretty much. But it's just this very, like, very interesting, but well done, and like the the landscape she's walking through, and kind of watching it on. I believe it's Stanley Tucci that plays the the killer. Huh. Um. Yeah, Stanley Tucci, and is like. It's just this really interesting, kind of dark and dreary, but everything's like bright and shiny. And I don't know, it's just a really well done movie that everyone just kind of forgot he made. And it's kind of sad because I it's one of my favorites that he's made. Of course, Lord of the Rings is my number one, but well, no, he, he's, he's pretty, pretty solid. solid. He's pretty yeah. solid. Yeah, I, I've liked him since I first came in contact with Lord of the Rings. And I will say, the last thing I'll say on this subject. You say you, you you may be kind of cheating with uh, a group of movies, but considering how it was filmed, Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Rings trilogy is just one giant movie. Oh yeah, it was all shot. But real question here: Who would give the director of Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, Dead Alive, Heavenly Creatures, and The Frighteners three hundred million dollars to make a fantasy epic in New Zealand? You know, he wouldn't be the first choice. I don't know why, but I'm glad he was. Yeah, I have no idea who, like, I've heard that his pitch was fantastic. So cool, good on him, but who was who the crazy this? man that gave him $300 million? Who, who invited this crazy Kiwi? Yeah, it's like, wow. All, All right. I know is thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that man's genus. Yes. And, uh... No, yeah, it please sir may have some more. Wait, the entire thing was for three hundred mil? Three hundred mil in nineteen ninety seven is when they started production. Wow, for all three movies three hundred yeah. that's incredible, yeah. actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. He somehow just knocked it out of the park. He he squeezed every last sound yeah. out of that money. Wait, I mean, look at how often they reused sets for other things and they repurposed. I mean, because yeah, they did, because yeah. they reused Gondor for two different things, and then they reused. Um, they were able to somehow pull off a completely original world on three hundred million dollars. Yeah, you know, I, I would want, I would, I would want to be on that, like the fly on wall in that conversation with the budget guy. It's like I don't know how, dude, but you're doing it. Plus, they reused the set for Helm's Deep, and I think in and as Gilgith too. Yeah, because yeah, so. they had different time periods. Different lights. Yeah, so like they just whoever was in charge of helping to do the budgeting on that was a genius themselves. Absolutely insane. But yeah, moving from the land of fantasy to where are you taking us? This one is it's gonna be tricky. I'm gonna list off his movies. Okay. Try to figure out what genre this guy makes because I'm still confused and I love just about every movie. So first off, he's he had a bunch of stuff before this that is inconsequential. But 1994, Shallow Grave. 1996, Train Spotting. Oh. Mm-hmm. 1997, A Life Less Ordinary. 2000, The Beach with DiCaprio. Then uh, in 2001, he did a movie, Vacuuming Completely Nude in the Par- or in Paradise. Okay. 2002, 28 Days Later. 2004, The Small family comedy, Millions. 2007, the sci-fi action horror thing, Sunshine. 2008, the Bollywood drama, Slumdog Millionaire. 2010, the body horror, 127 hours. Then he directed the stage play called Frankenstein. 
that starred Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller to throw two Sherlocks together. Then he directed the opening Olympic ceremonies of London 2012. Then he directed the movie Trance. Then he directed Steve Jobs, written by Aaron Sorkin. Then he directed Train Spotting 2. And then he just directed Yesterday. His name is Danny Boyle. And he has no genre. And he just does whatever Danny Boyle wants to do. And I'm going to say that his best movie is 28 Days Later, but it could also be Slumdog Millionaire. Because that would depends be on what you like. And I think 28 Days Later was unbelievable, and Slumdog Millionaire was unbelievable. And it was just this... This dude is all the same director, and he's done a movie in just about every single genre. He's like Spielberg, I swear. Yeah, Spielberg at least has like a feeling of, yeah, that's this director, but you think of Danny Boyle. I compare mm-hmm. yesterday and 28 Days Later. That's, yeah, I know. That's mm-hmm. kind of like polar opposite. Yeah, you know, and then the movie about the kid who kid who finds a bag full of money and then says, oh, God gave me a million dollars, and then starts handing out millions of dollars, or like tons of money to people, and then the mob comes after him. Sure, that sounds like the same guy who turned around and make the made sunshine about the thing flying towards the sun. I mean, I Danny Boyle is just such an eclectic director. And yet, all of them are pretty solid, for oh, what yeah. I recall. His entire filmography is ridiculously solid. It's just, it's all over. Pick a place. genre, buddy. Pick a genre. Yeah, the dude who made Slumdog Millionaire made Yesterday. <laughs> like... But he did it last year. Oh. But he made Slumdog Millionaire and then turned around and made 127 hours about a guy sawing off his own arm. Like, And yet that's somehow creepier than 28 Days Later. Yeah. Explain that to me. Because 127 hours is so much more grounded in reality than 28 Days Later? Like, the most I could see that. zombie I could film s- ever made? Yes, because... Which isn't zombies, but... 127 hours can happen tomorrow to any one of us. Well, maybe not me, because I don't go outside, because I burn to a crisp in 30 seconds. I'll just dehydrate, thank you very much. And 28 days later, like, it's a bit of a break from reality. I mean, like, it's based on realistic things that could happen true, but, like... I could see, I could see some crazy scientist making a rage virus that destroys the life on the planet as we know it. Right, because it because crazy animal activists broke them out. I mean, well, yeah, sure, but I mean, like, <laughs> but while you just shut, it's like, shut up. <laughs> I mean, like, I've heard of creepy things being made in a lab just because of because because science. Right, um, but at the same time, like, what it sounds like is it sounds like. He is a director of interest, I guess would be the worst. Just the only way that I can say this. Right. And that's exactly what, like, for instance, Spielberg does is he finds something interesting he wants to work on and works on it. And if he doesn't want to personally work on it, he'll help fund somebody who does want who's able to work on it. It's either in their wheelhouse or they're interested or ideally both. Right. Or somebody he wants to give a chance to. Like that's no, it's not. It's incredibly. I didn't realize that Twenty Eight Days and Yesterday yeah, were the same. The same director and Slumdog Millionaire, which is one of those kind of really unsung movies nowadays. But that movie's great. Like that. The I've never seen it. I, neither have I. 
I love tw- or Slumdog Millionaire. It's just one that, like, when I first saw it, I'm like, how, how is this so good? I'm guessing you own the movie. I do, somewhere, yeah. So, what I'm thinking is, is again, movie day. We need, like, a, there's, like, a list of movies that we just need to sit down and all watch. Right. Yeah, you know what? That would probably help for something. We can, we can just tie Jenny to a chair and force her to watch movies. Oh, hey, hang on. Hey, that's in train spotting, right? <laughs> that's right. That it We can is. put a boulder on her arm and force her to watch movies. That's a thing that can happen. But she's already seen that one. Yeah, true. But I am pointing out, Danny Boyle has two movies coming out. Ooh. One is about the most lucrative diamond heist ever. So that's suddenly a thing he's doing now is a heist Ice movie. movie. Uh, and the other is an adaptation of Miss Saigon. Wait, what? Okay. Of... The classic opera, Miss Saigon. What, like Carmen? Uh, no, it's Saigon, the... Or Miss Saigon, the stage play. Yeah, well, that's what I mean, like Carmen? Yeah, pretty much. And now he's doing that. So, cool. All right. Two more genres under his wheelhouse. Yeah. Okay. He's a collector. That's what it is. He's I a collector to, of genres. I think this year I'll do a mockumentary. That will get them thinking. <laughs> Danny Boyle is up there with the director Ang Lee for the two that just don't know where they're going. And I had a hard time trying to decide between Danny Boyle and Ang Lee. Yeah, but the th- thing is, Danny Boyle seems to have more consistent hits. See, Ang Lee, other than, like, Hulk, he also did Sense and Sensibility, Crou- Crouching Tiger. He did Hulk. Brokeback Mountain was him. Less Caution was phenomenal. Taking Woodstock, Life of Pi, Billy Lynn's, or Billy Lynn's Long Halftime Walk was really well, really good. So it's like, he just has a varied career. And it's like the two of them together just, I just want them to team up on something. I love something. Life of Pi. And then he's also directing Gemini Man? Wow. Okay, okay. wow. The Ang Lee just doesn't know where he is either. So it's the two of them just, every genre is taken and they're two, two dudes. Every every movie a different genre. What's going to be on the wheel today? How long until Danny Boyle does one just completely in a different language? Oh, no, he did that. Anyway, it's just, yeah, his movies are all over the place. Like, right. Wheel of genre, turn, turn, turn. Tell me the movie I will make this year. Musical porn? Well, that's different. Okay, about to go wow, wow. All right, moving right along. James, what's your last director for the day? My last director for the day is a Mr. Donald Virgil Bluth. Boy, is that weird to find out his middle name is Virgil for some weird reason. Leads you right down the hole. Yeah, spelled spelled correctly for that, too. Hmm. It is spelled with two I's. It is also surprising how old the man is. And he's still alive. He is. He was born September 13th, 1937. So, like, right when, essentially, World War II started over in Europe. Oh, boy. And he is still alive today. So, that's that's over 90. He is, he will be 93 in almost two weeks. Ooh, bless him. Well, happy birthday, Donald Bluth, if you make it that long. And he right. is one of my favorite directors of just animated movies because that's that's where he's from he was a he was former former Walt Disney employee 
And actually, I think we, I brought this up before before the podcast, and you had a very you found a very interesting phrase about that. Yeah, his biography on IMDb, the Internet Movie Database. Uh, Don Bluth was one of the chief animators at Disney to come to the mantle after the Great One's death. Yeah, the Great um, One. I'm not sure who has the uh, the joyful boundness for Walt Disney, but that's a uh, that's a hell of a description. <laughs> Right? The Great One. I mean, all that makes me think of is that there were some very dark times in Disney. See, I'm just thinking, man, why didn't Wayne Gretzky work at Disney? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I forgot that that was his nickname. Yep. Right. I mean, I was thinking more along the lines of uh, dark times involving World War Two, but sure, hey, we know whatever. Yeah. But he was employed at Disney from 1955 to 57, and then okay. again 1971 to 78. Did do you know if during that maybe during that time period he worked for a different company or just maybe kind of took a hiatus or? I'd imagine a different company because that's a 14 year hiatus otherwise. Yeah. Well, I mean, you don't know. Like some people take time off, like raise kids or whatever. I just scratched that. That might have been war. Well, he, 57? No, he jumped over and worked on other... He worked on, like, Sword in the Stone and Fantastic Voyage. And That's the big things. thing, is that he would... He, uh, a lot of his stuff was competing against... Uh, competing against Disney. A lot of the stuff that people might recognize are stuff from the 90s. A lot of fun ones, actually. Uh, but... Well, let's go down the list. <laughs> Pete's Dragon. Loved it. The small one, I don't know what that is. Not familiar. Banjo the Woodpile Cat, that's a short film. The Secret of Nim. Okay. That was a fun one. The video game Dragon's Lair. I've heard of it. I can't say that I've played it. It is You can find you can find it easy now if you have you have a Switch? Yeah. It's available on the Switch. Okay. This episode brought to you by the Switch. Absolutely, I wish. absolutely gorgeous animation. It okay. is so beautiful. And Rumor has it that there's actually a a movie in the making now. But back on track, Space Ace, another video game. An American Tale. Yes. Yep. Land Before Time. Really? Hmm. Yes, the first one. He was also co-storyboard and production designer for it. Okay. All Dogs Go to Heaven. Okay. Okay. Dragon's Lair 2. Rocket Doodle, which I don't remember. Really? Eh. Thumbelina. Dude, Rockadoodle was great. It was about a rooster who was also a greaser and rock and roll. Oh star. no, now I do remember that one. Yeah, no. Oh, I got you covered, oh, man. I thought Thumbelina, <laughs> which is one of my sister's favorite movies. Such a good movie. A troll in Central Park. Okay, okay, okay. The Pebble and the Penguin. Really? That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, Pebble and the Penguin. You can tell it's got a very distinct style. Yeah. The one, my favorite, Anastasia. Okay. Bartok the Magnificent, which is a sequel to Anastasia and director video, which it really, really deserved. <laughs> it did. It was not a good movie. And also, one I talked about last week, Titan A.E. Okay. That was Blue Style, and it shows. He has got an absolutely phenomenal just record with, with animation. Oh, yeah. Like, 90% of those movies, one I've seen, and two I loved. I mean, you can definitely tell that his, uh, like, his life was devoted to the animation and stuff. Oh, like to that. animation, one hundred percent. 
And my favorite of all of those is the 97 movie Anastasia. Okay. Fictionalized story of the fall of the House of Romanov in Russia by Grigory Rasputin. And I, again, I want to stress, fictionalized. Or yes. you mention, mentioning Rasputin later in this. They, they were all killed because of the uh, the uprising during the First World War. Which, in and of itself, that whole story in Russia is exceptionally interesting. Oh, like, yeah. the whole circumstances and everything that happened are intriguing in, at all if you enjoy history. Because that shaped the world. Oh, yeah. The fall, the fall of the House of Romanov, the fall of the Russian Tsar shaped the world easily. And this is... It's a musical com- It's a musical romance. It's a musical romance movie about what if what if one of the the children had survived? What if Anastasia had lived as some have thought she had, which I think even today the rumors still persist. Yeah. And again, it's it's a romance movie. It's got it's got names though: Meg Ryan, John Cusack, Kelsey Grammer, Hank Azaria, Christopher Lloyd, Bernadette Peters, Kirsten Dunst, and Angela Lansby. A lot of big names. Wow. I didn't realize that all those people worked on that project. Oh, yeah. And it's it's gorgeous. It makes you feel like you're in that beginning uh, 1900s Russia. And it's easily my favorite animated movie. I mean, it's easy to see why. I mean, it's a really good animated film. Mm-hmm. And the music in there is very good. It's still, the it's story is intriguing. And there's parts that are, are just horrifying. Yeah, you know, as as goofy as he kind of is, and as uh, as honestly easily as he could have been cut out of the movie, Christopher Christopher Lloyd as Rasputin is surprisingly creepy. Yes. But then again, that's a lot of Don Bluth. Because look at look at all dogs go to heaven. Look at the secret of Nim. Yeah. How much just look at uh, an American Tale? He didn't do Five Goes West, which is my personal. Yeah, I really, I'm a big fan of that one. But it's like, look at the creepy stuff that happens. He also seems to be a fan of Russia, now that I think about it, because Fievel's family's from Russia. Yeah, yeah, they're from they're 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 at least from some kind of USSR country. So that's actually kind of funny. <laughs> now I think about it, but no, he they're they're beautifully animated and very very adult actually. Again, going back to uh, the one I mentioned. Uh, why I, I I think I meant no I didn't mention it last week but it was on my list is that Titan A yeah it was one of your um, honorable mentions yeah it was one of the honorable mentions Titan A it's like it gets overlooked so much probably because around the same time even though it kind of got shafted was Treasure Planet or at least in the same couple of years yeah but it's just it's such an interesting very dark very adult movie and I guess it's because the Western had the Western. The West has that problem with, oh, it's cartoons, must be for kids. Yep. Where is it, if it had come out in the East, it's like, oh man, this looks like an awesome movie. Let's go see it. And I hate that stigma. But you know what? I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna put down it. Don Bluth is an amazing animator and has, again, is amazing. He's alive today. And Anastasia is the movie I think he did best with. So, Tom. So. Based on what we were just talking about with Don Bluth, um, I'm actually going to segue into mine based on what I'm reading about Fievel 
Um, so my director is Steven Spielberg. Ah. Okay. And from Fievel, I'm reading that Fievel was a new of Steven Spielberg's grandfather. That's and the scene funny. in which Fievel presses up against a window to look into a classroom filled with American school mice is based on a story Steven Spielberg remembered about his grandfather who told him that Jews were only able to listen to school lessons through open windows while sitting outside in the snow. Hmm. That is not a connection I'd have imagined. <laughs> yeah, I didn't either. I, wow. So, was not expecting that looking into this film. Um, that's kind of cool, though. Right. Everything's kind of connected in Hollywood somehow. Right. Um, and yes, he was, by the way, Fievel was a Russian mouse. Okay, I was right on um, that. But, so that being said, like I said, my, my director is Steven Spielberg, who, uh, is just ingenious when it comes to the films that he's done. He's done so many movies that have impacted the pop culture of America, especially, but of the world in general. Yeah, it's got, like, like, what, 30? And a good half of them are, like, heavy-hitting blockbusters. Directing? Directing, yeah, 61. 61. He's produced 198, and he's written 23. That might have been what I was thinking of. And he's been an actor in 15. Wow. Yeah, the man's prolific. Yeah. yeah. He and started in 1971 and he's still going pretty strong. Yeah. And the thing is, aside from that, I know we talked about, we may, it, it may have been recorded, but I know we talked about the fact that on top of just him being prolific in movies, the fact that he's also generous to give other people the chances to, to even have that shot. Exactly. It's yeah. what's amazing about the man. Cause he's the, he's the kind of person that Hollywood needs. He's the one who will give that first time or who catches his eye that leg up. He's the type of person that truly embraces the love of his craft. Yes. And wants to see it succeed and would love to be able to give other people the opportunities that he may not have had necessarily. Um, But the movie that I chose um, was Saving Private Ryan. came out in 1998, rated R, two hours and 49 minutes. And it starred Tom Hanks, Matt Damon, Barry Pepper, Vin Diesel, Paul Giamatti, Ted Danson, a uh, slew of other people. Um, and the film was groundbreaking in the fact that it's probably the most realistic World War II film to come out so far as far as being able to portray the horrors of the D-Day invasion and to give a really close look as to some of the things that the guys were going through. Also stands to say that when he was working with, from this project also came band of brothers and the Pacific, which he also worked on with Tom Hanks. And those were two miniseries for HBO that really deep dove into, or took a deep dive into the idea of the stories coming out of world war two involving specific units Things like that. I will say it is an amazing movie, but Saving Private Ryan is hard to watch subsequent times. Like It's not an easy film to watch that first time, but for me, I wouldn't say one and done, but I'd have to actually work up to say, oh, you know what, I'm going to watch this again fully through. It's what it, because, because it captures it so much. 
it is hard to sit through because I know that even though I'm seeing on a screen, someone lives something very close to what I'm seeing. Right. There's not that barrier of, oh, this is fantasy. I can laugh or enjoy this. Right. And the other thing is, too, is a lot of what they used for this was taken directly from interviews with veterans and listening to their stories and their accounts of what was going on during these time or during the actual parts that they were filming at that time in those areas with those people um and just listening to these men tell their stories and if you've watched like band of brothers or the pacific and you're listening to these interviews there are points when some of the men giving these interviews are breaking down and crying and um, it's cliched, but war is hell. It's not fun. And the other thing that kind of strikes me is the fact that this is actually, uh, Samurai Ryan is actually kind of based on real events. Because there was a group of four brothers, five? The, the group of brothers who basically died within a week of each other. Yeah. Um, so this, uh, I, I forget the actual name of the brothers that died. It wasn't Ryan. Um, offhand, and in the the letter that they actually read to uh, from Lincoln at one point to the mother of several brothers that died during the Civil War yeah. was also a true thing that happened. Yeah, it's it's messed up the fact that that actually happened. Yeah, and it was after this that they actually started splitting up brothers and family members to go into different units and things like that. So they less, uh, it was less likely for all of them to die and for an entire family to be wiped out like this. And um, having listened to stories from my grandfather, who I was the only one he actually told stories to about his experiences during World War II, this, this always hits home for me. And this is actually a movie that I actually watch at least once a year. Since I since it came out, um, just because of the fact that it's such an impactful movie, and you know, it always kind of makes me think a little bit more about you know what it, my grandfather went through and uh, the experiences that he told me about that kind of thing. Even though most of his experiences that he told me about were less of the combat side and more of the his experiences in general with World War Two, but. Still, on top of that, though, Steven Spielberg has done things like Ready Player One, the BFG, Bridge of Spies, Lincoln, The Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, the Indiana Jones movies, Munich, War of the Worlds, Termin The Terminal, Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Jaws. Yeah, he's very like uh, that Bolo guy that you talked about earlier, Devin, that he's Boy. very... Yeah. He's very eclectic, though he does seem to have a, uh, an actual style a lot of the time. Spielberg jumps between... He's one of those directors that's very good at surrounding himself with people that know what they're doing. Yeah. Like, for the longest time, he used a uh, cinematographer named Janusz Kaminski. That sounds familiar. He did, like, uh, Minority Report, and I'm pretty sure he was Saving Private Ryan. and he, he did a whole lot of his movies, and he's just one that was really good. And the two of them meshed really well, and they were able to to make really good movies. But then he jumps onto a new cinematographer, and 
will work a few with him and then jump jump onto new ones. And he doesn't use the same crew and cast all the time. And he enjoys just kind of doing something new. Like the biggest challenge he had with uh, Ready Player One is how do you record or how do you film an entire movie in a CGI environment? So he just was having fun walking through a fake set with a VR goggles. So one of the reasons that the Oculus and all that really took off is that Spielberg was just, I want to be able to do this. Let's make something. Yeah. And that's one of the big things about Spielberg is he is the guy that just pushes for. He's the kid that wants to see how far it'll go. Yeah. Yeah. In the best way. And on top of that, he also did The Post. Um, he he did Amistad, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, Schindler's List, uh, Hook. Empire of the Sun. I mean, it seems to me that uh, E.T., Close Encounters of the Third Kind, uh, it seems to me that the majority of his stuff has a tendency of jumping back and forth between history or historical events and sci-fi. Yeah, he yeah. does... He kind of takes a year off and then does a sci-fi. He does something, like, historical, and then he does something really weird... Then he takes the year off, he does something, he does something, he does something, takes years off. And unlike an Edgar Wright that does one movie every three years, Spielberg cranks out a movie a year, and it'll be like a Ready Player One or a War Horse. And or it'll Lincoln. be like War Horse with uh, War Horse and Tintin in the same year. Yeah. And, and then Lincoln in 2012. He's like a Stephen King. He just cranks out yeah. big things every year. and you see pretty yeah. solid. So, yeah. And, always solid. And something that I'm looking, actually kind of looking forward to him doing for next, coming out this coming West year. West Side Story. The West Side Story yeah. remake. Oh, wait. Uh, With Ansel Elgort, boy's baby is um, yeah. Tony. Yeah. Um, and then okay. I'm hoping that this is true. Um, he's doing a Ulysses S. Grant movie. I'm hoping that's true, as well as a George Gershwin movie. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, of course, another... Another um, Indiana Jones, but you know. Yeah, I mean that. We sure, we don't talk about. Wow, they're making a four. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that he literally just says, "I enjoy making Indiana Jones films." Yeah, he just enjoys them, and it's kind of one that he doesn't. It's not like a contract thing. He just enjoys making them. And that's cool though. Like that's the fact he's done that, but yes, yeah, so, I mean that's that's my pick for my. Uh, director, his, if you get a chance, look into his like actual history, his bio. It is incredibly interesting to read. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Devin. Yeah, and if you're going into film, Spielberg is the one you want to study because he is the he revolutionized so much. He is the creator of the summer blockbuster. He is the one of the first to kind of delve into like, no, I'm gonna make just a big, huge movie. And thank you, Jaws. And yeah, he he just does everything in Hollywood, and I have utmost respect for Steven Spielberg. He, I, I personally think that he is the end-all, be-all poster boy for what an ambassador for Hollywood should be. Yeah, instead of like the Weinsteins and the Brett Ratners and all that, mm -hmm. we should have more Spielbergs. We should have more, you know, guys that want everyone to do better, not just yes. himself. Like Absolutely. There are so many movies where he could direct it, but he doesn't. And he lets someone else direct it, but make sure it's better. Yep. 
that's an off. That's a really awful segue to talk about my next director. <laughs> Not nearly as smooth as his last. Not one. at all. But so many of my director's movies, you think that he directed it, but then he tur- turns out that he like. It's more he's the sponsor and very much like Spielberg. My director Guillermo del Toro just loves making movies. He loves monster movies. He loves creepy, weird, pseudo gothic horror type stuff and he has made a number of movies and he has then gone and produced movies like the movie that's out now uh scary stories to tell in the dark which i still want to see and he produced mama and orphanage and uh i'm probably thinking or missing a whole bunch but he just he loves weird movies he's the one that's pan's labyrinth he uh i'll get to that he's the the one who was supposed to direct Hobbit, but when MGM had their old thing, he had to back out. And that's why Peter Jackson took took over last minute. Oh, okay. that explains a lot. Yeah. But that's why you kind of get that feeling for a lot of the towns of like the Del Toro-ish, but it wasn't okay. fully realized. Del Toro brings something to everything he touches. And he started in 1993. He has one before this, but first mo- big movie was Kronos in 1993, followed by Mimic, Devil's Backbone. Then he jumped into the mainstream with Blade 2. And then he further jumped into it with Hellboy. Then he made Pan's Labyrinth. Then he made Hellboy 2, which to me is one of his best movies. I love that movie. I absolutely love Golden Army. Then he made Pacific Rim, which, say what you want about it, it's a really fun movie. I still haven't seen it. I love Pacific Rim. And then then he directed an episode of The Simpsons. (laughs) Oh, what? He directed it as Guillotine del Toro. It was probably a horror episode, or one of the Trails of Horror episodes. Yeah. That's awesome. Then he directed a whole bunch of episodes of The Strain, Crimson Peak, and all leading up to oh, Crimson Peak. what I think is ultimately is probably his best-made movie, The Shape of Water. Oh, it's a beautiful Which movie. It's one of those that a whole lot of people just know it as the fish-banging movie, but... It is, in, it is a culmination of all of his films. Yes, Tom, I said fish banging. I will say that the reason that I didn't have Del Toro is about that half of his movies I just haven't seen yet. I have seen... The only movies that I have yet to sit down and watch are Devil's Backbone and Kronos. His old... His old like, yeah, and I, I finally got around to watching Mimic, and wow, that movie just blew me away. Like... It's obviously early uh, Guillermo del Toro. It's that same kind of creepy subway atmosphere of like a lot of the first Hellboy was Samuel and Rasputin. So we get that Rasputin reference in there that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. But um, you get a lot of that kind of creepy factor with giant, almost praying mantis type cockroach type bugs, which he kind of referenced later in some of his other films and it's just one of these one of those movies that was just really underrated and if you haven't if you want to see a good kind of creature feature go watch mimic it's surprisingly well done there is a movie that del toro has wanted to make forever that i would love to see that man do all right and that is at the mountains of madness yeah he wants to do a lovecraft story proper Lovecraft story. I would be 100% down. Thing is... Thing is, 
it's it it would be hard. He he thinks it would be hard to get funding for it because from his words, Prometheus used a lot of the shots that he would have. Yeah, and I think there was another reason, but I can't remember off the top of my head. But I know that. He has wanted to do it for years. He doesn't think people want to see a horror that they don't understand. I think is what... what how he phrased it? Yeah. yeah. All I know is if he did it, I would I would pre-buy tickets. Oh, yeah. Because I, I would be 100% on board for whatever he gave me. I am so happy you finally won a Best Directing Oscar. He deserves uh, it. Yeah, he won it for um, Shape of Water and... It's one of those movies that when I first saw it, I wasn't as impressed as repeat viewings. But Del Toro, just every movie, he brings it. And even something that story-wise is pretty me- mediocre, like uh, Crimson Peak, it's still a gorgeous, it's beautiful. It was a gorgeous movie. Oh, Besides yeah. some weird little jump, unneeded jump scares, it, it right. worked perfectly. Yeah. And the the visuals that he brings to everything. It's obvious that he grew up watching like horror movies and he just wants to make something different and he does. And one of my favorite scenes from Shape of Water is where the bathroom floods. Oh yeah. Yeah. That particular scene is gorgeous to watch. Yeah, I just it the first time I saw it it blew me away to watch this film because getting into it I wasn't quite sure exactly what to expect. And then... You never really do with Del Toro. All you know is it's going to be weird. Right. But, like, going into it, I didn't actually know that it was Del Toro. Oh. Uh, I was just told, hey, this is a really good movie. You should check it out. And I kept hearing Devin talk about it. So I was like, okay. And then I went and I watched it. And I was like, oh, my God, this film is awesome. And I can't believe that I put off seeing it this long. And, yeah, I agree. Every time I see the movie... It gets better and better because I pick up on stuff that I didn't catch before or whatever. And visually, it's absolutely stunning. Every time I've seen one of his movies, they're visually stunning. Yeah, and I love the fact that for the most part, he tries not to use visual effects very much like a Christopher Nolan. Yeah, where it's all practical. He tries to do practical, and sometimes it works. Some like a lot of mimic and mimic. Let's just say that producers didn't trust him yet, so they tried to mess with him and so get the director's cut <laughs> for once get the director's cut it's better pan's labyrinth pan's labyrinth a lot in that movie is is practical and it is so much creepier for it yeah uh pan's labyrinth pan's labyrinth and shape of water were the two that i was debating on saying is his best i had to say shape of water because he won the oscar for it and, and i understand it uh, i that should probably be one i watched this yeah. week that one is, it's a love story, sure. Blah blah blah. We all know the the memes, but, but it's, a, it's a psych it's a psych movie, right? Yeah. And and like I said, like I've been saying the last couple of weeks, I've actually been really fun with having a lot of fun with those, like four uh, fourteen oh eight. Yeah. And Doug Jones as not Abe Sapien, Abe Sapien. <laughs> oh yeah. I love the fact that the main character is mute. Yes. Is she deaf mute or just mute? Just mute. Just mute? Yeah. She can hear. True. Uh, she's mute and the fish doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. I love that. It all has to be physicality then. Yeah, it's all physicality. It's all her trying to teach him sign language and he 
not really understanding, but just kind of like going on like, through the motions, yeah, going like understanding her enthusiasm and that kind of stuff. And I like the fact that the villain is like that, that over American patriot that is like cold war. The Russians are going to do this and all that. So he's like over explaining himself and all this. Whereas the, the main character other than like her fantasy never speaks in the entire film. Yep. And I love Richard Jenkins as the friend. Mm-hmm. It's such a subtle and like unique character. The whole it buying is. of the pies and then taking the pies home and just throwing them in his fridge. Like just, he has so many little subtleties to his character that are just phenomenal. And um, the main character, Sally Hawkins, right? Yes. She knocked out of the park. And I just think, everyone in this movie is just great that ultimately they could be as amazing as possible but if you're not don't have a great director you'll end up being sally hawkins in uh godzilla 2 kind of just there for uh no reason oh you mean king of monsters yeah i i i did actually see that recently and wow it's it's not the best movie well at least they didn't nuke the giant lizard I mean, uh, it's currently playing in the other room, and they're about to nuke a lizard. Oh, I saw it. I saw it beforehand. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not great. I've but, never seen the movie. But the other movie, yeah, the, I think, needs some love, and because of the crappy sequel, uh, Pacific Rim, the first one is, it's so much better than people get credit for. Pacific Rim is just a great like kaiju robot action film and the fact that they actually delve into the characters running the machines is just great like it's it's the, neon genesis evangelion where yeah where everybody doesn't fall apart because they use actual adults yeah. instead of 14 year olds with issues yeah and i absolutely love charlie hunnam and rinko kikuchi's like just genuine charisma or like chemistry between the two i've heard they did like it it just it's a it's a great relationship, whatever that relationship happens to be. They immediately get inside each other's heads when they they drift together, which... Have you seen Pacific Rim? No, but I know the... Ba- it's basically all that whole Vulcan mind meld, right? Yeah, Where they you meld, know, and they then move as one. And if they're drift compatible, they can move as one, and they will st- take the strain of the, the robot. It's diffused between yeah. two people as opposed to hammered into one. Yeah, so you end up with two people that know everything about each other and whether they like each other or not they're stuck with each other and you can genuinely tell that the two of them immediately become friends they immediately understand each other and it's this interesting dichotomy between the two that really drives a lot of the movie sure giant monsters and giant robots but it's to me the the kind of intricate little friendship that they develop what i also love from what little i have seen in pacific rim what what sells it so much, especially as a giant robot versus kaiju movie, they give those they give those robots weight. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's a, it's a giant guy and a, a dog fighting. It feels like this is a robot that's several hundred tons destroying something because it moved just like ten feet and the velocity is just that much. That's where one works and two doesn't. Two, they become like Megazords, like jumping around and Power Rangers. And like 
posing and all this, and the camera's just sweeping right up close. And whereas the original, they purposely shot it realistically, even when there's giant robots. The camera's low, and you'll see them walking up. And when they do square off, they're shooting it like an action, like a fight scene between two actual people. That's it, cool. It, yeah. One of the ones that always stuck out to me was holding the fist up. And then the rockets start yeah, rocket back in punch and all that, yeah. which is like, yeah, you know what? You don't want it to be able to swing all the way back like a human arm. Use it the fact that it's a robot, and use all that force from a rocket. It's yeah. it's it was amazing that shot I saw. Um, and again, the weight from it, it felt like a giant rocket was slamming into this five, six, ten story built sized thing. And for me, like. I was sold on the initially wanting to see it in the first place, just on the cast, and this, the fact that like the original trailer looked really cool. But I love Charlie Hunnam. I've loved him as an actor since he first popped in, since I first saw him in uh, Sons of Anarchy. <laughs> so, I mean, I I really enjoyed that show. So, like, I was sold the second I saw him that he was going to be in a film. I was like, done. I'm in, hundred percent. Doesn't matter. I don't even care the story. I want to see this. So, the fact that I've gone this long and I still haven't seen it makes me kind of sad, but, you know. Movie night. Yep. Totally going to have to remedy that. Yeah. To me, Pacific Rim is kind of one of his... It's out of his wheelhouse of that kind of gothic horror, but it's still... But it's not. (laughs) Yeah. it, It feels like a different universe with the same director. And that's where I think Del Toro is just such a genius. Uh, he still, you can still tell when you're watching a Del Toro movie, the intricate green and brass, like, mechanisms. I love all the shots of the, the armor that the drift, the pilots wear in the first one. It has all these, like, little intricate pieces that connect together, and it's all a practical suit, and the head fills with a certain liquid, so that they're not, their head's not sloshing, like, slamming into things while they're moving. And then the sequel... Dropped all that for like a black suit or like black like streamlined suit that they just pasted stuff onto. I'm like, God, one of the coolest visuals in the entire movie is them stepping into the robots and like the suits lacing themselves up, like just and all these like things latching together, and it's just such a how this actually works. Like everything is thought out, and the reason why everything is two drivers and just everything is brilliant in that movie but then the sequel just nah let's make transformers five and it would just oh that it did feel like that watching it i, I saw that i was like that looks dull the se- the sequel just completely throws the interesting out what what i also find interesting with del toro is the fact that a lot of his stuff is shot in dark light, yeah. but is not drab or gray. It's He's, very colorful in the dark. Like the uh, Hellboy 2, the whole troll arm or troll market. Yeah. It's all these kind of greens and blues and browns and then fl- flashes of red and orange here and there. And yeah, there, there's color in the night. Yeah. It's not just darkness. You just might not be able to see all of it. Except for Blade, which is almost all black and white with some red. Yeah. That's also stylized, though. But Del Toro, to me, is 
the new Spielberg. I'm I really want to know where he goes, and I really hope that he. I hope he can get his passion projects. I hope he can, and the fact that he's like, screw it, I'm doing Pinocchio. I'm like, all right, oh, yeah, I yeah. If there is a director out there that I trust to make a good dark Pinocchio tale. It is Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Imagine I mean, him so, doing legitimately a doll that wants to become a human. So hang on, would it be for Disney or is he just taking the story and doing it his own? From what I've been able to tell, I think it's him doing what he wants. Oh, I am on board. So not going to lie, if there's anybody that I would love to see do like the Grimm's fairy tales. It would Del Toro's be, top top on that. Yeah, it would be Del Toro because could you imagine going through and seeing like a series of Grimm's fairy tales by Del Toro? That would be insane to see. I mean, I would love to see a Hansel and Gretel. I would love to see, you know, Pinocchio. Well, even though Pinocchio is not uh, Grimm's, but you know, I would love to see I, I, what is. I think Red Riding Hood is a grim. I don't remember all Maybe. of them. There's but a, either way, uh, either yeah. way, no, I I definitely am interested. Yeah. So, a little update on this Pinocchio movie. Oh, great. Here's your news. November 2017, Del Toro announced the project was canceled. But, the next year, October 2018, Netflix announced that Del Toro was still on board to direct a stop-motion adaptation of Pinocchio. Del Toro himself tweeted concept art and all that. The way this movie got in, got made is Steven Spielberg was asked to direct this project back in 2016. However, due to the dark nature of the adaptation of specifically the book, he recommended that the producers consider Guillermo del Toro because of his work on Pan's Labyrinth, Crimson Peak, and Hellboy. So again, this Spielberg. is Steven Spielberg going this is the right guy for the job and giving it to Del Toro who has run with it. Again, one of the reasons why we all love Steven Spielberg because of the fact that he knows he, he, he has, knows his limits. He knows his limits, but he also knows like the right people that should be doing work and wants to promote them. He's got to a great work. eye for talent. He does. It also probably doesn't help the fact that he's also had a hand in a an, an other uh, Pinocchio remake, as it were. Another movie that was just... <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'll say, I have no idea what Del Toro's actually going to end up directing, because he has, like, 20 movies on his docket, but the one that was just announced is a movie called Brood, an exploration into the life of Charles Dickens after he survives a deadly train crash in, six, or in 1865, and whether the incident could have possibly turned him into a killer around the time he worked on his final novel, The Mystery of Edwin Drood. What? No idea what the hell, where the hell this movie came from, but I'm in for that. Right. Charles Dickens potentially going insane? Okay. Okay, then. Cool. He would, that, any of that era, like, those stories, I'm down for seeing. Yeah. It also was announced that if the Universal Monster movies continued, he would have been the director of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. 100% in. Also, an adaptation of a Naiko Urasawa manga named Doctor, or uh, named Monster, about a doctor who saves a young boy who ends up becoming a psychopath. And it's this doctor 
try like who's now being taunted by the psychopath. And it's him trying to go and find this young boy that's now turned into a man and is starting to kill people. That's... Wow. I absolutely loved the manga. It is one of the best mangas and animes I've ever watched. It's called Monster. Go and check it out. But him doing the... That's on my docket to, to watch. Wow. That that would have been a perfect one. I have. There's been no movement on it, so don't, don't expect that to come out anytime soon. But yeah, my final director is Guillermo del Toro. He's been working with two other people named Gael Garcia or something in Uritu. He has like six names. Also, Alfonso Caron. The three of them are called the Three Amigos. They are th- the three that have won the past four Best Director um, Oscars. The three of them collectively have won the Oscars for the past few years. Check them out. Alfonso Caron. He's got a pretty good. He's got yeah. a pretty good uh, list of movies. Yeah, yeah I think it's. Oh yeah, Children of Men being. His top. He was going to be where I put Danny Boyle, but also I believe it's Alexandra or Alexandre Inyoritu. Check uh, him out. <laughs> Something like that. Uh it's Inyoritu. Check him out. He did Birdman. He also did Revenant. Okay. So he's also Oh fun. wow. So the three of them, the three amigos of Hollywood, check him out. Uh Cantora. <laughs> so but yeah, that's mine. Um uh, Bong Joon-ho, Danny Boyle, and Guillermo del Toro. All right. Cool. Well, what's coming up over the next week or so? Uh, well, this week um, is It, Chapter 2. Uh, I'm seeing it. I'm going to be seeing it. Loved the first half. Yep. 100%. I'm, s- I'm a little afraid to see the next one because I've heard it's like super dark and it's also uh, three hours long. I might. For a horror movie that's long. I might, but the, the biggest problem is the fact that I just find I just find King's writing style dreary and I'm not sure how it translates. And the first time it was translated to video wasn't exactly yeah. great. 2.49. That's yeah. actually really long. Yeah, it's really long for a horror movie. But anything else noteworthy or? Uh, not much coming out this week. Um... Other than it, next week we have a couple of movies, Hustlers, and you know, a, a kind of that the aftermath going into the actual summer movies. But for sure, Hustlers, which is about a bunch of strippers taking a bunch of people for money, which is kind of hilarious, and also uh, a movie called The Goldfinch starring Ansel Elgort, which looks kind of cool. And Super yes. Size Me Too, Holy Chicken, which just makes me laugh. <laughs> I like Super Size Me. Super Size Me 2 should be fun. I like, I like All right, for sure. Uh, obviously, no Gen Ed this week. And that's about it for this week. Yep. Indeedy. Any last things that anyone wishes to add? Yes, check us out on Facebook. And uh, please, if you like this show, please share it. You know, share it. Please, uh, you know, make it a favorite. Give us five stars. Whatever it is, like us. Do that thing. If and you, yeah. if you listen to it on Anchor, feel free to leave us a audio comment. We'll respond and be like, cool, awesome. Or we'll be like, shut up, you troll. <laughs> and all that. And also, if you have suggestions for uh, topics you like, you'd like us to possibly cover, please let us know and we'll definitely consider it. So, yeah. Cool. We'll be back next week with another episode. Absolutely. Yeah. So, take care. Go see more movies. 
and bye.